Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Tribe of Christians broadcast. I'm your host, founder and ministry leader, Brandon Dawson. Now, I have got a massive explosive broadcast lined up for you guys today. I have got major prophetic stuff that I'm going to be getting into that you guys are not going to want to miss. I'm going to be talking about the coming peace deal between Israel and Saudi Arabia, which may very well involve land concessions to the Palestinians in favor of a two-state solution. Now, is this the Antichrist peace treaty, or at least the foundation for it, and will it happen by the end of the year or by 2024? This could lead not only to the prophesied tribulation period and the emergence of the Antichrist, but also setting the stage for the Gog and Magog War that the Bible predicts will precede the tribulation period, which the pieces are already in place. Now, I'm going to also be talking about the Antichrist specifically. I will propose to you my very own personal opinion and perspective who I believe this person may actually, in fact, be and which nation that this person may very well come from. Now, additionally, I'm going to explore the specific qualifications and characteristics of that Antichrist. And then we'll explore the unfolding events, which are also connected to the 2024 solar eclipse, which marks a giant X across the United States. I'm going to talk about the repercussions and the consequences of dividing Israel's land and how these developments may also be paving the way for the coming third Jewish temple. So stay tuned because all of this and much more happening in this broadcast episode. Now I'm going to start off the article or start off the broadcast with an article which was featured by Israel 365 News, which interestingly reports, Storm devastates Washington as Biden administration plans for Israel to concede land. And now let's talk about West Asia. These days, Joe Biden is paying close attention to the region. He has less than a year left in office. Biden desperately wants a foreign policy win. And he could be placing his bets on West Asia specifically Israel and Saudi Arabia. Reports say the U.S. is trying to broker a deal. Now, over the last previous weekend, Washington, D.C. was struck by one of the most fiercest storms in its decade, leaving a path of devastation. Now, this event coincided with the Biden administration's announcement of negotiations with Saudi Arabia that could very well lead to Israel ceding significant land to the Palestinians. Now, as the storm subsided, more than 200,000 Washington, D.C. residents were left grappling with the aftermath. Fallen trees blocked major roads, left many people without power. A Virginia man lost his life, which a tree fell upon his home. And this violent storm came in the wake of a heat wave that affected over 200 million people, or about 60% of the U.S. population. 
Thanks for joining us tonight at 6. I'm Charlotte McBride. We begin tonight with the severe storms making their way across the DMV at this hour and causing a lot of damage. Take a look at this. A tree has fallen on an apartment building on Queen Street Northeast. It also crushed several cars nearby. Day. Severe weather across the D.C. region toppling trees, downing wires and making streets impassable. Families waking up without power and now the cleanup is underway. And up to Cleanup from yesterday's severe storms continues across the region. Our Nana St. Yobansu is in College Park outside one of the homes which was split right through the center. Guys, cleanup is definitely underway in these communities. We are in College Park on Lakeland where you see down trees, debris. And take a look at this home right over here, completely split down the middle. We're told wind did this, not even the uprooted tree that you see right in front of it. Storms swept through the DMV. To me, it felt like I was in a tornado. Residents watched in shock. Victor Blythe was working on Wisconsin Avenue when the winds picked up. It was it happened so fast. I was kind of in shock, but it, and just the the speed of the winds. I mean, it, it just I've never seen winds that fast before. Those winds blew the roof off this 31 unit apartment building on Wisconsin Avenue. No one was injured, but residents had to be evacuated. Can you imagine seeing this while you're on a walk? Well, video of trees here that knocked down power lines in Northwest DC. What a frightening sight. One of the down lines at 8th and Elder Street sparked and caught fire. The woman who took the video says this went on for about an hour. And we now want you to check out this scene in Boston. Once that rain cleared, this is what was left behind. Cars seen splashing through the flooded intersection. And fortunately, no one was heard. Well, the weather now to the casual observer, to most people, these events may seem completely unrelated. But there are, in fact, several, many examples in history where natural disasters have occurred when leaders or nations have attempted to divide the land of Israel. They are a direct consequences of such. Now, when President Biden took office in 2020, his administration adopted and very anti-Israel policy, including reviving the horrific failed Iran deals. And then a month after the policy shift, a polar vortex hit the central U.S. with an unprecedented cold, breaking over 2,400 2400 temperature records, some over 75 years old. And then back in August of 2017, as the Trump administration also attempted to jumpstart peace talks in the Middle East, Hurricane Harvey, one of the worst disasters in Texas history, made landfall. In June 2016, a conference in Paris that advocated for a Palestinian state within Israeli borders was followed by the worst flooding that Paris has ever seen in decades. Now, even further back, all the way back to 2005, saw Ariel Sharon endorse the roadmap for peace and began plans to remove the Jewish population from the Gaza Strip under the U.S. influence and pressure. And then directly afterwards, Hurricane Katrina struck Louisiana, killing over 1,800 and causing over $108 billion in damages. October 1999, Jewish settlers were evicted from 15 West Bank settlements, and immediately following that event, the U.S. was hit with a series of natural disasters, major drops in the Dow, financial, uh, Dow Jones financial average, 
and a hurricane hitting North Carolina and powerful earthquake rocking the southwest U.S. 1998, a series of meetings between Israeli and U.S. leaders, including then-President Bill Clinton, seemed to trigger also economic and natural upheavals, including sharp drops in the Dow Jones average and Hurricane George's, which caused $10 billion in damages and claimed over 604 lives. September of 2001, President George Bush held a series of meetings with Saudi Arabia in which they were, in fact, planning to officially denounce Israel's sovereignty concerning the pre-1967 borders. Now, this was about to be publicly announced at the UN, but it was then shelved after 19 al-Qaeda terrorists hijacked four planes resulting in the attacks of 9-11. Of the 19 hijackers, 15 of them were Saudi nationals. So there are many, 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 many hundreds of examples dating all the way back uh, decades proving that severe consequences do in fact follow when nations and leaders go against Israel. God does in fact bless those who bless Israel and he does in fact curse those who curse or intend to bring harm against Israel. Now, currently, significant efforts are, in fact, underway right now for a peace deal between Israel and Saudi Arabia, which is dealing uh, with the threats from Iran, Hezbollah, and Hamas. Now, both Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Saudi Arabia's Mohammed bin Salman have declared that these peace deals are a top uh, most priority in their administration. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu meeting with Republican Senator Lindsey Graham in Jerusalem yesterday as he pushes for Saudi Arabia's normalization with Israel. Listen in. We want normalization and peace with Saudi Arabia. We view that as uh, uh, perhaps the the giant leap forward towards ending the Arab-Israeli conflict. Uh, This... uh, Uh, agreement could have monumental consequences, historic consequences, both for uh, Israel, for uh, Saudi Arabia, for the region, for the world. Working together with uh, President Trump, uh, you accomplished more possibly than any pair of president and prime minister had accomplished for the state of Israel in a short period of time. What do you think that you could have accomplished had (coughs) both your administration and the Trump administration remained in office for a few more years? First of all, I think we could accomplish more in the years we were there because we spent three years going down the rabbit hole of a Palestinian peace only to discover that they don't want peace. Uh, I knew that in advance, but it took a while to persuade uh, the Trump administration, uh, if we did. But in my first meeting with uh, President Trump, and I described this in my book, I said there are four peace treaties to be had right away. If we pursue them, we waited until the fourth year and happily achieved these four historic peace accords the Abraham Accords, but uh, I think the big prize is peace with Saudi Arabia, which I intend to achieve if I go back into office, and I think there's a chance I will achieve it because I think Saudi Arabia and many of the other Arab countries who haven't yet made peace with us know that I'm absolutely committed to preventing Iran from having nuclear weapons, which is uh, something that they are keenly interested in, Uh, and uh, so I think there's a correlation between the rise of Iran and the rise of Israel. The rise of Israeli power facilitated the Abraham Accords and the continual uh, nurturing of Israeli power will also uh, nurture, I think, a broader peace with Saudi Arabia and uh, nearly all of the rest of the Arab world. I intend to bring the Arab-Israeli conflict to a close. 
But in recent years, things have shifted. It began with Donald Trump when Donald Trump was president, and Iran emerged as enemy number one, both for Israel and for Saudi Arabia. And this brought them closer. They both want to contain Tehran, and this common enemy created openings for a relationship. Some Arab countries established ties with Israel. They signed what came to be called the Abraham Accords. And this could not have been done without Saudi Arabia's blessings. Then Riyadh allowed Israeli flights to cross Saudi airspace. So things were all going in the right direction. But Saudi Arabia has not yet taken the plunge. Well, there is a lot of buzz, a lot of diplomatic activity. American officials talking to the Saudis and Israelis. Reports say Riyadh has also made some demands. It wants some concessions for Palestinians. The Saudis have a wish list for America too. There are two major demands, basically. Riyadh wants American support for a civil nuclear program and a new security pact with Washington, D.C. The specifics of this agreement are yet to be spelled out, the specifics of these demands. But the nuclear program has been a long-standing demand of the Saudis. The kingdom wants to enrich its own uranium. Of course, Israel and the U.S. have opposed this idea. They fear it will trigger a nuclear arms race. The opposition stems from mistrust. Israel fears the Saudis could overstep the mandate and a civilian program may open the doors for military use. This is the same old logic that, has, that is used to deter every country that wants nuclear power. But from Riyadh's perspective, this is non-negotiable. The nuclear deal is apparently a prerequisite for normalization. Integration and normalization efforts are not a substitute for progress between Israelis and Palestinians, nor should they come at its expense. Israel's deepened relationships with its partners can and should advance the well-being of the Palestinian people and the prospects for a two-state solution. Now, Saudi Arabia is the very birthplace of Islam, and it houses the most holiest Islamic site, which is Mecca. Now, many people believe that the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem is the holiest Islamic site, but in fact, it's the third holiest site where Mecca is actually the top first most holiest site in Islam. Now, Islam holds some major, major clues that gives us insight into the events surrounding the Antichrist, the peace treaty, and the nature behind the Gog and Magog war. So in order to fully understand what's going on with the seven-year peace treaty, why it happens, and also the Gog and Magog war, which includes all the surrounding Muslim Persian nations alongside with Russia, you have to understand the context behind these Muslim factions and the Islamic prophecies, which are the very cause behind these tensions that are happening in the Middle East involving Israel, including all the terrorist attacks that happened dating back to 2001. Now, the Quran contains several prophecies that parallel the Antichrist and the one world religion in the Bible or that's talked about, uh, it's prophesied in, throughout the Bible. Now, the current talks between Saudi Arabia and Israel, they're going to include very key points, such as normalizing flights between Israel and Mecca, forming a military alliance for security concerns, uh, combating Iran, and also discussions about the Temple Mount, fostering trade, and establishing Palestinian statehood, which would divide Israel for a two-state solution. Now, presently, right now, Israel is in fact undergoing a major judicial overhaul, which is causing massive civil division and civil unrest. And unlike the United States, see, Israel actually does not have a constitution, which, uh, gives, which would give judges uh, substantial 
influence over the nation because there is no constitution uh, that would curtail their power. So this system opens Israel's courts to political influence and challenges its sovereignty. So therefore, reforms and specific language are absolutely needed to be clarified for the uh, for Israel's Supreme Court. And that's what Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu seeks to achieve. Now, the media and the Biden administration have manipulated the truth about what's going on, uh, about these uh, developments, inciting massive civil unrest. And so, in turn, what this has done has made Israel extremely, very vulnerable right now to attacks. And so, many of uh, Israel's reservists are actually on strike and this and are vowing to not even answer the call should these attacks rise. And so, in a result of all these rising threats of terrorist attacks from Hezbollah and Hamas, including Iran, Israel is extremely on edge right now, and therefore it's rushing, um, really rushing to run into a peace agreement with, uh, with Saudi Arabia. And in an effort to combat these uh, threats or attacks, and even the possibility of war. And so these events are escalating everything. Now, a lot of Christians, unfortunately, have no idea what the Abraham Accords are, what they do, and, um, and just how horrific the Abraham Accords really are, the reality of it. Now, the Abraham Accords are essentially a large-scale trade agreement that restricts and it prevents any new Jewish settlements based upon the 1967 borders. Now that, I believe, could potentially be the very peace deal affirmed by the Antichrist. Now if you read Daniel 11.39, the Bible tells us that the Antichrist will distribute the land for a price, treating the peace treaty more like a business deal rather than a peace agreement. So the Antichrist is going to put a dollar sign on the land. He's going to sell it to the highest bidder. And this isn't a, a, a peace deal at all. It's a business deal, and that's exactly what the Abraham Accords are. And so the current peace negotiations right now are uh, being brokered, at least trying to be brokered, by the Biden administration between Israel and Saudi Arabia. And it's attempting to get Saudi Arabia to officially sign into the Abraham Accords. Now, right now, there are several, already several major Muslim nations who have signed uh, the Accords. The UAE, which consists of about seven Muslim nations, also uh, being a member of OPEC, and you've got Morocco, Bahrain, you've got Sudan, and I believe Egypt as well. And so, according to various reports, it is believed that Saudi Arabia is seeking to develop, they want to develop a nuclear reactor in a plan to modernize and develop its technology and energy in its cities. And so Saudi Arabia has also vowed for concessions regarding a Palestinian statehood for any deal to be reached alongside with the nuclear reactor. And so right now, Netanyahu is on, uh, on edge and is determined more than ever to establish and secure this deal. And so Israel badly wants this peace deal with Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia has massive influence over the other Muslim nations and also being a leader in the OPEC nations. And which Netanyahu believes that a deal with Saudi Arabia 
will strengthen the solidarity uh, and sovereignty of Israel's existence, having a right to exist, serving as a deterrence for peace in the Middle East, which uh, the most imminent threat to Israel is, in fact, Iran. Now, just this past March, China, China actually brokered a massive peace treaty, officially normalizing relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran for the very first time in over, uh, I believe, in over seven or eight years. And this is a huge, huge deal that uh, I think is would have been completely unthinkable just a year ago. And China is also extremely significant in the Bible and biblical prophecy because uh, it's from China. This massive 100 million man army is going to travel through the dried up Euphrates River. Now, if you do an online Google or YouTube search, you can find tons of videos about the uh, river drying up and it's leading to the release of these fallen angels that bring about massive destruction upon the earth. So what we are witnessing are all the pieces are in fact coming together. Now, historically, Iran and Saudi Arabia have been enemies due to their differences in their perspective, beliefs, or views of Islam. Now let me explain the context behind this just for a moment so you can understand just how profound these deals really are. Just proving how close we really are to the end times and the tribulation period. So Saudi Arabia are Sunni Muslims where Iran are Shiite Muslims. Now Sunni and Shiites are the two largest branches of Islam with the overwhelming majority of Iranians practicing Shiite Islam. Now, about 90% of Iranians practice Shia, Shiaism, the official religion of Iran. By contrast, most of the Arab states in the Middle East are predominantly Sunni. Now, the main difference between these two branches is their contradicting beliefs on succession after the Prophet Muhammad died. Now, Sunni leaders called caliphs are elected through voting, while Shiite leaders or imams are direct descendants, direct bloodline descendants of Muhammad. Now, Muslims believe that Allah selected Muhammad to start Islam. Now, Muhammad, who is also called the Prophet Muhammad in Islam, successfully brought together fighting Arabic groups and founded uh, Islam that spread globally. Now, when he died in 632 CE, it caused a big, huge, massive disagreement because he didn't have a son, and he did not have leave any instructions for governance or who would succeed him. So Muslims wanted to choose a new leader for from the community, while others believed that only Muhammad's family or through direct bloodlines could lead. Now this argument led to the creation of Sunni and Shiite, now the two main branches of Islam, but the disagreement got even worse which has caused the ongoing conflict between Sunni and Shiite Muslims today. Now, the majority of Shias, particularly those in Iran and the Eastern Arab world, believe that the 12th Imam entered a state of oculation or hiddenness and then in 939 and that he would return at the end of time. This is who they believe to be their Islamic Messiah. Now, since the, uh, the Twelvers or the Shias have vested religious authority in their senior clerical leaders called uh, Ayatollahs, uh, 
which is Arabic for the Son of God. Now, the unification of a Muslim caliphate has been central to many significant events in the Middle East, including the Gulf and Iraq Wars. It also played a major role in the Arab Spring uprising in 2011 and in incidences involving Libya uh, with the former leader of Gaddafi, which culminated in the tragic events of Benghazi. Gaddafi aimed to unite the Muslim nations and undermine the U.S. dollar through various oil trade deals outside of the U.S. dollar. This is why Libya, who's known as Put in the Bible, is specifically named among one of the nations in the Gog and Magog War. Now, similarly, Saddam Hussein also sought to do the same thing, sought to unify the Muslim nations and challenge the dollar by transacting oil and other currencies. Now, leaders from Syria and Iran have also expressed the desire to unify Muslim nations and overthrow the U.S., and this objective has been underpinned critical events like the 1967 Six-Day War and the oil crisis that severely impacted the economy in the 1970s. It's the overall goal of these Muslim nations to seek to fulfill the visions of the Quran, seeing a unified Muslim caliphate ruled by one leader, connected to Muhammad, which will be the Antichrist or the Muslim's uh, Messiah. Now, the prophet Ezekiel prophesied that Russia, Russia along with Turkey, will lead the Gog and Magog War, with neighboring Muslim nations born in, uh, because in modern present-day context, in our present day, Russia has been the very first country to actually effectively and successfully challenge the U.S. dollar beyond the uh, oil markets and the petrodollar. Remember, uh, there have been major wars. We went to war in Iraq over the petrodollar. So this challenge has been amplified with the emergence of the uh, invasion into Ukraine, with the emergence of the BRICS alliances and a new multipolar world currency. Now, once Trump, uh, once Russia triumphs over Ukraine and once they uh, win the war, then it's going to be perceived by the Muslim nations as a new dominant power that successfully stood up to the West to the United States, accomplishing what no other Muslim nation could do. Now, these Muslim nations view that the, the United States is the main brick wall that stands in their way of establishing a global caliphate, and so they will perceive Russia as a nation having the authority from their Allah to accomplish this alongside with China. Therefore, I believe that the Antichrist is not going to emerge from the UN or the EU or any Western nation. Instead, the Antichrist is going to rise from this new alliance, formed not only through the Abraham Accords, but also through a peace deal, a peace treaty involving Russia and China. Now, this alliance, in exchange for security, will possess the power to confront Iran. So this is why in Daniel's vision concerning the final empire beast system uh, and the Antichrist that he sees ten horns rising, in which among them rises the Antichrist who in turn subdues three of them. 
Now, these are the 10 kings who give their powers to the beast and enforce the mark of the beast in the new global trade system. Now, already, now I believe there are two potential candidates that fit the profile of the Antichrist, but uh, two, but of the two, only one of them actually fits the best criteria if you look at it from a biblical perspective and ties to Israel and also from the Islamic perspective to the ties of Muhammad. Now, as previously mentioned, there are two nations where he may come from. One of these nations is specifically mentioned in the Bible and is also specifically mentioned concerning the end times and has a historic relationship with Israel and Israel's bloodline, which would be the nation of Jordan. And the other is Saudi Arabia. Now, according to the Islamic faith, the Muslim prophecies about their coming uh, imam, this uh, Islamic savior, is said to be direct descendant from Muhammad and will be able to unite all Muslims under one government. Now, there are other prophecies which aren't completely clear that state that this imam would also have the name of Muhammad in order to fulfill the prophecy, but that's a contested theory. So this is why many, uh, this is why you'll see many Muslim leaders, in fact, naming their sons Muhammad in the event that one of them may fulfill the prophecy. Now, the prince of Saudi Arabia is not a bloodline descendant of Muhammad. The Saudi lineage doesn't follow the traditional vertical bloodline, which is passed on through offspring and through sons, but it moves horizontally, passed on through brothers and uncles. But the crown prince of Saudi Arabia has the name of Muhammad. He presides over the holiest site in Islam, which is Mecca, and is in the position to not only broker this deal between Israel and Saudi Arabia, but this deal could also influence all the other Muslim nations to follow in the same footsteps. Now, the other candidate who I believe, in my own perspective, most likely fits the description of who the Antichrist may be is the crown prince of Jordan, Hussan bin Abdullah. Now, this guy was just recently in headlines because he just had a historic wedding in which he, in fact, married uh, Rajwa al-Saif, if I can pronounce that right. Now, she's a member of the Saudi Arabian no uh, nobility. She, is, uh, she has royal blood in her. Her family descends from the uh, Shi'iks of the town of al-Attar and Sudar of the Sabi tribe. Now, this union, in fact, strengthens the relationship and the alliances between Jordan and Saudi Arabia. Now, Jordan covers the areas of Edom, Moab, and Amman, and it also includes the very location of Sodom. They are the descendants of Lot, whom slept with his uh, daughters and bore children, which is where Moab comes from. Now, Lot is the pivotal character in the story of Saddam, destruction of uh, and Sodom's destruction, where Sodom is specifically mentioned by Jesus concerning the end times. Now, not many people are aware of this, but the prophet Ezekiel actually prophesied that the descendants of Sodom would be restored at the same time as Israel, serving as a crucial sign of the impeding times. Ezekiel 16.53 says, However, I will restore the fortunes of Sodom, and her daughters and Samaria, and her daughters, <coughs> excuse me, and your fortunes along with them. 
Now, the nation of Jordan was officially established on May 25, 1946, two years before Israel was reestablished on May 14, 1948, fulfilling Ezekiel's prophecy exactly as foretold. Now, many of us are familiar with the parable of the fig tree, which uh, implies that uh, when its leaves are sprouting, signals the end times generation. However, few people are aware that Jesus also referenced other trees, which is found in Luke 19, Luke 19, 29-30, which he said, Look at the fig tree and all the trees, and as soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already here, or near. Hence, the prophecy didn't only pertain to Israel, but it also related to Ezekiel's prophecy about the restoration of Jordan in other nations. Now, Prince Hassan of Jordan, he's currently 29 years old. He is also the 42nd direct descendant of Muhammad, and his life seems to counter-mirror, counter-parallel that of Jesus. There are 42 generations from Abraham to Jesus. Jesus began his ministry at the age of 30, and so if Hassan follows this pattern, he will turn 30 next year, 2024. So it is apparent to me that all these signs are in fact pointing to the year 2024, which many believe is going to be an absolutely catastrophic year. Now Jordan controls the Temple Mount, which would also grant Hassan considerable bargaining power between Israel and the Muslim nations, potentially paving the way for the construction of the Third Temple. He's the only one who can actually claim the uh, limit lineage of the prophet Muhammad. Now, Daniel 11.37 suggests that the Antichrist will show no regard for the gods of his uh, ancestors or for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. So this foreshadowing text could suggest that Hassan may not have the same regard or the same respect for the Temple Mount as highly as all the other Muslim leaders do. Now, this could explain why Isaiah 63.18, Daniel 8.13, Zechariah 12.3, all of them declare that the outer courts of the third temple that's going to be built is going to be trampled upon by the Gentiles for 42 months or three and a half years. It's going to include sects of both it's going to include um, sections of both Jews and Muslims. Now, the beginning, first initial step for this to take place would be a deal between Israel and Saudi Arabia, which would be setting the very groundwork for the two-state solution and the establishment of the Third Temple or the Temple Mount. The deal will emphasize strategic military alliances to deter Iran. And I believe wholeheartedly that Benjamin Netanyahu is at the breaking point, uh, is absolutely desperate to make a deal happen. So there's no doubt in my mind he was going to agree to the two-state solution proposed by Trump. So he was already going to agree to concessions. So there's no doubt in my mind that uh, he's already uh, desperate, ready to concede land just to make this deal happen uh, for the sake of countering the threat of Iran. And I believe somewhere within this agreement or this framework, perhaps there could be something that will include 
the Temple Mount and perhaps uh, Jordan's involvement in that particular agreement. Now, the next step after that is uh, to observe development. What we need to do is observe the developments, what happens with Russia, uh, especially shifts occurring in the oil markets and the currencies. Particularly, uh, pay attention, uh, specific attention should be paid to Russia's involvement later on, uh, any kind of involvement with the Abraham Accords. Now, this will officially supplant Russia as a major unifier of the Muslim nations because Russia was able to counter the U.S. and um, I believe when it happens, the inevitable collapse of the dollar. So this very well sets the groundwork for the Gog <clears throat> and Magog War. Not to mention that all the nations involved in the Gog and Magog War are OPEC nations oil-rich OPEC nations. So these uh, nations are already de-dollarizing uh, the U.S. dollar. Now the third step is integration. It's going to be unification and enforcement, which uh, will be highly influenced, not just by a two-state solution between Israel and Palestine, but the very creation of the Jewish temple. Nothing like... Uh, the establishment of the third prophesied Jewish temple, there's nothing that would unify um, the area more greatly than the Jewish temple in itself, even leading Christians astray. So all signs, again, are in fact pointing to next year, 2024. Now next year, the United States will quite literally, it's going to bear a very significant X mark as the path of the 2024 solar eclipse intersects with that of the 2017 eclipse. Now, I'm not going to dive uh, too much into that because I've already gone into that so many times. I've already produced a video uh, detailing it in, in specific, explaining what the X in the Hebrew means, what it signifies as a warning or a marker preceding judgment and destruction. Now, one thing that I did not uh, specifically cover in that video, in that particular, uh, about the eclipse, is the eclipse that actually, in fact, occurred over Nineveh in the Assyrian Empire during, uh, during Jonah's time that influenced the repentance of Nineveh. And this is uh, absolutely crucial to understand what's taking place now. Now, historians have discovered that ancient Assyrian tablets, which uh, described an eclipse actually occurring during the time of Jonah's preaching. Now, interestingly, there was also an eclipse that occurred on August 21st, 1914, over Europe and over the Ottoman Empire, which uh, preceded World War I. Now, the Ottoman Empire was an Islamic empire that ruled over the occupied Palestinian territory of Israel. The Ottoman Empire was also the last Islamic caliphate to exist, so it was completely dismantled as a result of World War I. So perhaps this coming 2024 eclipse could very well elude to another global world war involving directly Iran, Russia, and China. Now either way, this warning is most certainly directed to the United States and having to deal with Israel just as the last two world wars involved the Holocaust and the genocide of the Jews. All of it is focused <coughs> on Israel 
Now, we have numerous, uh, numerous matters that we need to pay attention, that we need to monitor. We have got to stay vigilant about. Now, now is not the time to be preoccupied, be uh, preoccupied with the, the elections, with the presidential elections, or to place any uh, hope on any one particular political leader. Instead, our focus, in fact, should be on aligning our hearts with Christ, putting our personal affairs in order. As Ezekiel and Peter stated, judgment indeed begins first in God's household. And so if any aspect of our life doesn't align with Christ or the gospel message, you are in absolute risk of eternal condemnation and being left behind to endure the severe trials of the tribulation period. This is not the time for complacency or to sit around or to wait to be just sit around and uh, wait for the rapture. This is the time to get to work to reach as many people as we can with the truth of God's word and the gospel message of Christ, who is our only hope of salvation. We have got tremendous, perilous times ahead of us. Everything is telling us that there is danger coming all around us. All signs are pointing. All signs are pointing to the end times. Things are, rather if it's financial calamity, we're, the United States uh, is in the absolute most debt, highest debt bubble that has ever been. And thanks to the rising interest rates, uh, the debt's becoming going to be all, nearly impossible for the United States to be able to keep up in its payments. You know, we look at the serious bubbles that are happening in the housing market with inflation, uh, all these different things that are happening. It's really clear that uh, we are definitely into some massive financial trouble ahead. And with uh, the things that are happening with Russia and the threat of China, there's no doubt in my mind that we are definitely heading into another major global conflict. So guys, we have definitely got to keep our eyes open. We've got to be uh, diligent and we got to get to work. We have to be spreading the gospel message. Reach as many people as we can around us now guys that's going to conclude this broadcast message and as always stay encouraged keep looking up keep finding the good fight keep running the good race and whatever you do do not give up and never lose hope